for choosing the podcast of LifePoint Church in Ozark, Missouri. LifePoint is a body of believers led by God's Spirit to engage in His redemptive mission in the world. We love Jesus and desire to serve Him by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together. We hope that this message will be a blessing and an encouragement for your life. If you would like more information about LifePoint Church, please visit us on the web at www.lifepointozark.com. As I begin this series today, the series is entitled Shaped for Glory Through Mission, a walk through Deuteronomy. And so as we look at this, we're going to spend several weeks, even several months, in the book of Deuteronomy. But for the next two months, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to begin with four foundational pillars for your life to be shaped for glory through mission. And I'll begin with the first pillar today in just a moment. Four foundational pillars. And then I'm going to offer you five resolutions for each person to embrace in order to see God do a transformational work in your life, bringing you more into the image of His Son, bringing you a redemptively into where He created you to be, to bear glory for His name in the world, among the nations. And so that's where we're headed. I just want to give you some heads up on that. Today we're going to begin with the first foundational pillar. And uh, we're going to look at God is faithful today. Now, let me let you know how I'm praying for this series. Because I want you to join me in those prayers. I, I'm praying that God will use this season of our life as we prepare and celebrate the 10th anniversary of our church's life. I'm asking God to use this season as a catalyst for greater things for us. Because I want to see God take all that He's given to us and all that He's done among us and all that He's blessed us with. And I just want to see it spent for His glory. I don't think God's done with us. I don't think He's brought us to where He's going to bring us. I think He wants to use us in the world. I think His Word is explicit to us in this. And so as we come to this point in our church's life, I want us to pray together and to ask, God, thank you for what you've done. You've done this for a reason because you do all things by the purpose of your divine will. Where are you leading us and what are you wanting us to spend all the blessings of life that you've given to us in order to invest in your kingdom work, to see more people saved, to see more lives, more marriages, more relationships redeemed, to see our city transformed, and to see ultimately our state, our nation, and our world turn to Christ. And I believe he wants to use us in a powerful way to do that. So that's what I'm praying. I want you to pray that as well. It all begins right now in Deuteronomy chapter 1 as we begin this series entitled Shaped for Glory Through Mission. If you want God to shape your life for glory through mission, then the first foundation that you must build your life upon is simply this. You must remember that God is faithful. You must remember that God is faithful. When Deuteronomy begins, the Israelites are on the threshold of realizing God's promise to them by entering the promised land. This land that holds all of God's richest blessings for them. And God uses Moses to lead the people and to prepare them for this new land 
by teaching them the law, something they've already been instructed in, very likely something they already had a knowledge of. But what Moses does is he takes knowledge and gives it feet. That's called living the Christian life, right? Knowing something and putting feet on it and walking according to it. And that's what Moses does in the book of Deuteronomy. It's often called the second law, but it's not the same as God gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus, rather He teaches us how to live out God's commands in our life in the midst of the world each and every day. That's why I'm telling you, God cannot shape your life for glory unless you're living on mission. And you say, well, I don't have time to add one more thing to my list. I'm not telling you to add one more thing to your to-do list. I'm I'm talking about something much bigger than your to-do list. I'm talking about all of your life being submitted to all of the lordship of Jesus Christ. So every moment of every day, every relationship, every conversation, every action in which you entertain and engage is all being spent for the glory of God in all that you do and in all that you say. So chapters 1, 2, and 3 records Moses tracing God's faithfulness to the Israelites between Egypt where they had been in captivity for over 400 years and their entrance into this new land. And the journey had not been an easy one for them. For they had been before where they find themselves today. About 39 years before, the people of Israel had stood at this very place and had refused to obey God and been turned back into the wilderness. And now they return. And what they realize and what Moses is going to remind them is that God is faithful. And He's never left them all along the way. Here's how I'm going to work through these three chapters. I'm going to lead you to basically leave your Bible open because we're going to look down, we're going to read some high point verses that just help us know where the trajectory of the scriptures are for the sake of time. And then I'm going to try to draw out not only the narrative of what's taking place, but then we'll conclude, culminate the sermon today by uh, four ways that God's faithfulness is demonstrated, not only to the Israelites, but to you and I, so that we can remember God is faithful. Chapter 1, verse 1. Let's go there together and let's begin to read. In verse 1, Moses tells us what he's doing. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. Verse 3, second sentence. Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. Verse 5, second sentence. Moses undertook to explain this law. Verse 8. See, this is God speaking or Moses speaking God's words. I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. Once Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, reality quickly began to set in, and it almost crushed Moses, to be quite honest. There was this massive rush of power that carried them across the Red Sea. As you remember this miracle that God performed in rolling the the walls of water back so that the Israelites could cross on dry ground. And then when the Egyptian army followed them in, the walls of water crashed in and overwhelmed the Egyptian army protecting the Israelites. And so on the other side, what do you do when you see God provide in such a miraculous way? 
singing would be a good idea because it's ordained by God to give him praise. And that's what they did. It records Moses' song in response to God's provision. And the people of Israel began to sing praise unto God. But as the days carried on, and shall we say the adrenaline of that high point began to subside, you know what began to happen? Somebody said this. This desert is making me thirsty. Moses, when do we get something to drink? Right? You've been in the car when these kind of conversations come up, right? Like 300 yards out of the driveway, and the first one is, how much further and when are we going to stop, right? And I got my earphones in, so I can't hear any of it. I'm good. Uh, But this is what began to happen. The people began to murmur. And verses 9 through 18 tells us that, that it became so overwhelming to Moses, he felt as though he was going to be crushed by it. And so he records or reminds them here of what took place in Exodus chapter 18 when his father-in-law Jethro told him, Dude, you need, you got to divide this up or you're not going to be with us very long. The stress is going to put you under the ground. And so he tells us that he began to divide the people up and appoint leaders that could be more manageable in the leadership of the people. And he admits this. Here's what Moses said, because this is important to us to understand Moses' role in God's story here. Moses says, I can't do this. Verse 9, at this time I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you. What is he saying to them there? What, the Lord your God has multiplied you. What did he just tell them? God is faithful. Right? Why? Because what's he responding to? He's saying, well, there's several hundred thousand of you, potentially measured in the, or numbered in the millions, and God told one old man and one old woman that they were going to have a baby, and from that, they were going to be made into a nation as many as the stars. And you're standing here today, you are the fulfillment of that promise. God has made you many. What is Moses telling them? God is faithful, right? Okay, I just, I'm going to point that out more than once today since it's the title. And he said this, You are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. Man, that. That's ringing with God's promise in it. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you. Here's what he said. God bless you, just as he promised to, but I cannot bear you by myself. How can I bear the weight uh, and burden of you and your strife? Moses says, you are too much for me. We've got to deal with this. And so we begin to see how he takes care of this. He then recounts, beginning in verse 19, the first visit to the edge of the new land. This is They've just come out of Egypt. It tells us that from Kadesh Barnea to where they're going to cross over, it's 11 days journey. 11 days. That's like, um, well, I'm not going to do the math in my head, but it took them almost 40 years to travel what should have taken them 11 days. Man, somebody needs to pull over and ask for directions, right? That's all I'm going to say about that, but that is true. So he begins to recount the first visit to the edge of this new land. And God commands them what? To take the new land. Look at verse 21. See, 
The Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now what's Moses doing? What Moses is doing is reminding him of what he told them 40 years before. These people had been here 40 years earlier, had been at the same place, and had chosen to walk away from God instead of walking with God. God. And so the people responded, and here's how they responded, and Moses continues to recount this. Somebody said, hey, before we all put our life on the line, why don't we send 12 spies in just to make sure it is as God says it is. And if you look in verse 25, here's what you'll find, that when the 12 spies returned, they were overwhelmed with the blessing and the fruitfulness of what they hauled out. And when the people saw that the land was so phenomenal, here was their testimony, that it is a good land that the Lord, our God, is giving us. What were the people testifying in verse 25 that Moses was reminding them of? Remember... Okay, here's a hint about the sermon today. Anytime I say remember and I pause, that's when you say God is faithful. Okay? All right, let's try this again. So in verse 25, it testifies that it is good that the Lord our God is giving us what is Moses reminding them of, but other than thank you. Now, if you do it again, you will have doubled the number of times the first service actually did it. Because they, that's the only time they did it. And they were like, we are not doing this throughout the whole service. Right? You're not that good of a preacher. You're not going to get us to do this the whole time. And that's what took place. But verse 26 reminds us that there was more to option two, plan B, than the people had at first admitted. Because murmuring had begun to heighten their fears and led them to rebellion and blaming God. And verse 26 says this, yet, yet you would not go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and you said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt. Yes, as you finish that grape that you just finished, out of the land he promised you. And as you wash it down with the sweetest milk you've ever put on your lips, go ahead and blame God for not doing what he said he would do through his promise. Their murmuring is what led them to believe something that was not true about God. You see, Moses tried to encourage them by reminding them of God's faithfulness, but they would not believe God, even in the midst of his faithfulness. Murmuring, friends, here's what murmuring does. It makes us deaf towards God. It makes us deceived in our own thinking about God, and it makes us determined to go our own way. So we move along, we see in verse 34, God's response. Look at verse 34, chapter 1. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. And then verse 38, he continues, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. These are the two spies that came out and said, No, 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 no. The people are tall, but God is taller. The people are big, but God is bigger. God's given us this land. Let's go take for our possession what he has given to us. And the other ten said, well, these grapes are good, but those people are big. 
And so they fostered the fears of the people. You see, God chooses two of the original 12 spies to lead the people into the land. But that wouldn't happen anytime soon. God sent the Israelites back into the wilderness where they would stay for the next almost 40 years. You see, friends, God's faithfulness doesn't mean that sin and rebellion has no consequences. God's faithfulness doesn't mean that sin and rebellion don't have consequences. And that's important for us to understand. So when we get to verse 41, we see that the people recognize their rebellion. They said, yes, yes, that's right. We have denied God and rebelled against Him. But instead of listening to God, which got them in trouble in the first place, and doing what He said, which again was what got them in trouble in the first place, they repeated their rebellion by creating yet again their own plan. And what did they do? They armored up and they went into the land and they got it handed to them. They were utterly destroyed in that first battle. Now let me pause here and let's talk about the will of God and obeying God for just a moment. You see, some might ask us, but weren't the children of Israel at that moment, weren't they doing what God had already said? Had not God already said, go in and take the land? And then they said no because of the murmuring and the fear. And when they said no, God said, okay, then turn and go back into the wilderness. And they went, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's rethink this. I'll tell you what. Let's go take the land anyway. And they thought that it was their idea, that it was their strength that was going to take the land in the first place. And so God said go into the wilderness because sin and rebellion always comes with consequences, though of varying degrees. They said we'll just go do what God said in the beginning. And God said if you go, I will not be with you. And they went. And they were utterly defeated. See, when you ask, weren't they doing what God had already said? No, because God had said more and they again had not listened. You see, God's will includes three aspects and here they are. His word, his commandment, his instruction, his teaching, what he tells us to do. It includes his way. There is a way that is God's way and not our way. And the prophet tells us that his way is higher than our way. His thought is higher than our thought. Therefore, we must trust his way even when we maybe don't fully understand it. Sometimes when we don't even see it. But there's a third component that is critical for you and I and also for the Israelites here that they missed. It's also God's win. W-H-E-N. Timing matters friends and this is a good time for us to remind ourselves of a very simple yet essential principle in following God delayed obedience is the same as disobedience there is no retroactive obedience in following God. You see, if, if the law were just a bunch of rules, then maybe that would be true. But the law is not a bunch of rules. The law is God's establishing His relationship with us. And relationship exists in the here and now. It doesn't exist in trying to make up for what took place in the past where we screwed it up so horrifically bad. God says, I want you with me here and now, and I want all of you, and I want you to follow me now. 
And that's what he's trying to teach them. You see, when we want to know God's will so we can obey it on our own terms, either in our own way or in our own time, that's rebellion, friends. And we sin when we try to do things for God instead of just doing what God has commanded us to do in following Him. Rebellion includes manipulating God's commands for our own preferences, for our own comforts, as much as it includes outright rejecting His commands to us. And what rebellion does for us is the same thing that the murmuring which was the activity of rebellion for the Israelites, did for them. It hardens our heart towards God. It deafens our ears towards God. And it deceives our thinking, not only about God, but about us. That we know better than God. You see, the Israelites didn't listen to the Lord. And they were defeated by the Amorites. But hear me, I want you to remember one thing today. God is faithful. You see, God remains faithful even when the people were living in rebellion. God is faithful. So when chapter 2 begins, the Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness, or he's recounting their wandering in the wilderness, and God says this, you've been out here long enough. So from the end of chapter 1 to the beginning of chapter 2, 37, 38 years have passed And God says, you've been out here long enough. And he commands them to turn northward. And chapters 2 and 3, it records God's faithfulness through five encounters with other peoples in the land. The first three of these encounters are encounters where God says, do not contend with them. They're living in my will for them. The first people are the people of Esau. Now, let me give you a little history and understanding of context on this. Who are the children of Israel? Israel's other name or first name was what? Jacob. Who is Jacob? Jacob was whose brother? Esau's brother. What did Jacob do to Esau? He stole his birthright. There's some bad blood between these people, right? And God says what? Do not contend with them. They're living in the land that I gave them as a possession. Friends, I don't know if you just heard what I just said. Or if you've read this passage of Scripture and you saw it for your own self, with your own eyes. But I'm telling you, when God says you're going to come into contact with the people of Esau who were living in a land that I gave them as their possession, even though you are on a journey to a land that I'm giving to you as your possession, what should the people of Esau been to the Israelites other than to a testimony to simply say that, what? Remember! God is faithful, right? And he said, now, you've got money that I gave to you, so offer them money for their goods. And they will sell you food, and they will sell you what you need. And you will move on, and you will not go to war with them. And that's what they did. That's what they did. Listen to chapter 2, verse 7. This is such a powerful verse. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the works of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. Did you hear that? What is that? He knows. What does that say? It says God is faithful. You've been in the wilderness for almost 40 years. God knows that. Why? The knowledge of God is not just intellectual. It is His presence. He knows because He's been with you. 
It's relational. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been what? With you. You have lacked nothing. Well, I don't know if you write in your Bible. I do. I would underline those verses. I would circle them. I'd put a big exclamation point out in the margin next to them and go, Hey, read this. Read it again and again and again and again until you remember that God is faithful. Because when they were wandering in rebellion, God was with them in love. Wherever you are today, you are not outside of God's love for you. Wherever you are. Chapter 2, verse 7 reminds us of that. And so they came upon the people of Esau. And then it tells us in verse 8 and following that they came upon the people of Moab. And again, God tells them, do not contend with these people. And Moses reminds them of God's faithfulness when he marks the 38 years that they've traveled. And, and he says, all the men of the camp that rebelled have perished. And God was faithful to fulfill his word, even the kind of word that you didn't like. And now he's leading you. He's turning. This is a turning point because they're moving back in the direction, following God into the fulfillment of the recognition of his promise. And so they come across the people of Moab who also are living in a land that God has given them for their possession. They will also come across the people, the Ammonites, whom God has given a land for their possession. And with each of the three encounters, God says, do not contend with these people. They are living in in the place that I gave them to live, or in my will for them, leave them alone. Don't you find it encouraging that God doesn't need to steal someone else's blessing to make yours a reality? You're not here today to try and get more or less from God than somebody else sitting next to you. You're not being competed with before God. God's got enough blessing and glory to blow us all away. I find that immeasurably encouraging today. That God knows what you need. He knows what your life is all about. And his blessing is uniquely suited for you. So you can applaud and clap and give glory to God when he blesses someone else. And you can know that your church family does the same when he blesses you. What a powerful testimony that God is faithful. But there were two other people that they would come into contact with. Because it tells us in verse 26 of chapter 2 that there will be two more people groups. And so it tells us that the Israelites sent words of peace to Sihon the Amorite. But Sihon said, I'm not taking your words of peace. He refused them and he came out against them. But what happened? Moses says this, God protected you with power. And he defeated Sihon through you so that you would see God not only wants to bless you with provision and protection, but he's going to bless you with power. There's something in me that wonders, not that not, doesn't really wonder, I know that they did not spend 38 years wandering in the desert perfecting their wartime tactics. They were looking for water. That's what you look for in the desert. 
Because you're thirsty. Every minute of every day, you're just thirsty in the desert. So they weren't learning how to fight. They weren't perfecting their skills for battle. And yet when they meet the people uh, uh, under Sihon's rule, what happens? God gives them the strength to conquer them. And almost immediately after this meeting, they come against Og, the king of Bashan. And when he comes out to battle against them, again, Moses reminds the children of Israel of God's faithfulness in providing and protecting them and also giving them power and strength for victory. He reminds them how he began also to divide the land at this point. Of the two and a half tribes who would take this land, Moses begins to dole it out to them and say, you will go with us and you will fight with us, but you will stay here because this is the land that God promised to you. So God's faithfulness before their very eyes is already becoming a reality in their life. Man, how could they not trust him, right? Don't ask that question because I've answered it way too many times in my life and I've gone the wrong direction with it. Maybe you have too. You see, these battles show God's faithfulness to give victory in battle. God remains faithful even when we are unprepared for the things that we face in life. God is faithful. And so chapter 3 verse 18 and following, Moses reminds the people of God's promise and of his faithfulness, he encourages them to not fear, but to follow God as God fights for them. You see, friends, at every turn in the wilderness, Moses makes one thing clear, that he wants to remind the people that God is faithful. God is faithful, and he shows his faithfulness That we might see it and believe. God does not call us to blind adherence. Even blind obedience or ignorant faith. He demonstrates his will and reveals himself to us. That he might show who he is. And we might trust in him. You see God is faithful and his faithful demonstrates his character. And his commitment to his covenant. I want you to see four ways that God's faithfulness is demonstrated here. Because here's what I want you to walk away with today. God is faithful to His covenant to save His people through His covenant keeper, Jesus Christ. God is faithful to His covenant to save His people through His covenant keeper, Jesus Christ. We see it demonstrated in four ways. Way number one, I'll take you all the way back to chapter one. I'm not going to go back into the scriptures for the sake of time, but here's what I want you to see. The first way God demonstrates his faithfulness is this. God is faithful to speak his word. God is faithful to speak his word. I wonder how many times in life that the word of God is so near to us that it is taken for granted and forgotten by us. It is One thing for me to say that many of us own a Bible. Many of us own multiple Bibles. And we have God's Word sitting around our house and on our nightstand. And it's all throughout. But many of us now in this day and time carry the Bible even on our pocket idol, do we not? And it's so readily available. It's just a good thing that these things don't collect dust, right? You you know, I have a larger library on this iPad 
than many men of God have been able to have access to, let alone have, in their whole life. Thousands of books right here on this. The Word of God is so accessible to us today that I think we have overlooked, maybe even taken for granted, this first way that God demonstrates His faithfulness to people. He speaks His Word. You're going to hear this time and time again throughout the book of Deuteronomy. You know why? Because they were living in a land of people who worshipped false idols and false gods. And do you know what the defining characteristic of those false idols and false gods were? They could not speak. They had nothing to say. Hear me, friends. Even the holy books of the religions of the world today claim to be written by a prophet. But they are not the word of God. The Bible is God's word. Holy. That's why Satan has unleashed hell to discredit it through every intellectual, academic, and practical means that he can possibly conceive of to try and make you think something about it that it's not. But at the end of the day, the Bible is God's word. He speaks to you. That's why our doctrinal statement of our church, the first tenet of our beliefs is this. The Bible is God's holy word. Because without the Bible, we have no revelation of God. And it's all left to speculation of our own opinions. You'll find that consistently throughout evangelical Orthodox Christianity. Our faith hangs on the spoken word of God. The stanza is one of his most distinctive traits. God speaks to his people. No other God speaks to his people as Yahweh speaks. It's an absolute contrast among all the false gods that the Israelites live among. A God who speaks among all the other gods who cannot. Friends, unbelief and doubt may cause you to wonder at times if God hears from you. But you never have to have an inkling of a second of a moment in your life when you wonder if God speaks. He has spoken And his word remains. The Bible, the book that shapes our whole church and our whole life, tells us one thing and one thing alone, that God is faithful to his covenant. God is faithful to his covenant. He's faithful to speak his word, which helps us understand what that covenant is. And Deuteronomy begins with Moses speaking God's word to the people. Let me, let me put this into context. Let's look into the New Testament and ask, what does the New Testament say about what Moses is practicing in the book of Deuteronomy? Hebrews 11, the book of faith, right? Or excuse me, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, which is known in chapter 11 as the, uh, the annals of faith, if you will, where it lists all of those who were saved by faith. The first chapter and the first verse of that chapter in Hebrews says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Do you know who the greatest prophet of the Old Testament is known as? Moses. Moses. 
But in these last days, what are the last days? The last days are the days that followed Christ's ascension into heaven after he had been raised from the dead, after he'd been crucified on the cross, after he lived a perfect life, after he'd been born of a virgin in a miraculous way, after he had been God with us, he remained God. And where he sits and he rules today. This is what Hebrew says about him. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus is God speaking to us. God's word made flesh that dwelt among us. He has shown us the glory of God that is full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 verse 15. All that God has to say, he has ultimately said in his full revelation through the person of Jesus Christ. God is faithful. He speaks to us through his living word that is Jesus Christ. The second way that God has demonstrated His faithfulness here is this. That God is faithful by His provision. God is faithful by His provision. We see this beginning in uh, verse 9 of chapter 1 where He appoints leaders. And Moses says, man, I can't handle this. But God's got to do something if this is going to get handled. You see, God provides through leaders, through leadership. Moses led the people to recognize and to receive God's provision. We see the people weren't doing that great on their own. And every time they made a decision without the leadership of Moses, it led them in a very bad way. Sometimes they made those decisions in opposition to the leadership of Moses. That's why they ended up in the desert or in the wilderness for another 40 years. And when the people wanted to deny God's provision... Every time Moses pointed them back to God. Moses could have said, I'm going to stand here until you get back. But he didn't. What did he do? God said, go into the wilderness. Moses said, here we go. Let's go this way. Right? He was with them. God led him to stay with them. Moses was a great leader, friends. But hear me, Moses was not perfect. That's the way we're going to end the day today. He carried a heavy load, but he knew in his own words he was not able to bear the weight of the people's burdens alone. The weight of responsibility was more than he could handle. And and Moses was fighting with his own sin for his own life while God was using him to keep a whole nation of people on the path of his provision to fulfill his promise. You see, God's faithfulness is what we're seeing here, not Moses' excellency. It is God's faithfulness that is demonstrated through his provision of a leader, even though the leader wasn't perfect, but ultimately that points us to his perfect leader, who is Jesus Christ. Moses was a good shepherd, but Jesus is the good shepherd. The Gospel of John tells us that I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus bore the weight of responsibility for all sin on the cross. He paid our debt. He bore the weight of that debt and he paid it in the penalty for that sin. He ransoms through the cross. He ransoms us from sin's bondage and he rescues us from sin's slavery. Who does this? Jesus himself takes this on and does this for us. And on the cross, he redeems what sin has stolen and he restores what sin has destroyed. 
There is no other who will come alongside Jesus. He was left alone even before he got to the cross. No one would follow him. Why? Because the weight of the burden of people and the demand and the condemnation that came against them caused them to run in fear. But Jesus continued his labored walk all the way to Calvary. And on Calvary, scriptures tell us he bore our sins. You know what happened when he paid our debt? The balance was zero. There was nothing else owed, friends. There is no obedience that you will offer to God today that will help Christ in his payment for sin. There is no good deed or right thinking that you will accomplish today that will add to the work that Christ has already completed for you. It's done. It's finished. And that's a quote. And it was. When you put your faith in Christ, you trust in not just a good shepherd, but the chief shepherd and the overseer of our souls. The one who laid down his life that you might have life. The one who took your weight of sin and shame and condemnation that he might give to you His blessing of righteousness upon you. That's God's faithful provision. You see, God showed His faithfulness in Deuteronomy by working through a man to provide for His people. But hear me. In Jesus, God shows His faithfulness to become the man who would die and bring salvation for those who would trust in Him. God is faithful. He provides for our ultimate need of salvation through Jesus Christ. The third lesson, or excuse me, the the third way that God demonstrates His faithfulness is this, that He is faithful in His patient presence. Man, when they had to turn and go back into the wilderness, you can only imagine they were defeated, they were distraught. Man, they needed a God who loved them. And God was there with them the whole time. He does discipline His people when they rebel. But He does not leave them, nor does He forsake them. God's judgments are not rash decisions of condemnation so He can have fun exacting vengeance upon people. But rather they are loving discipline to those that He is bringing righteousness to to make it known in their life. You see, God remains with His people, even in rebellion, and by His presence demonstrates His patience. And Moses reminds the people of God's continual presence. He was with you for 400 years in Egypt. He was with you for over 40 years in the desert. And not only was He with you, but chapter 1 verse 33 says, In fire by night and in the cloud by day, He was leading you, not me. And in chapter 2, verse 7, these 40 years, the Lord your God has what? Been with you. With you. All those years in Egypt and the wilderness, God remained. His faithfulness is displayed through His patient presence. And God's patience, friend, it shows us 
That he does not want any to perish, but all to come to eternal life. That's what 2 Peter tells us. Paul says to us in this way, he says, I was the chief of sinners, but it was God's patience in my life being demonstrated by his presence that was there as a testimony to bring others to him. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. But I received mercy for this very reason, that in me... At the chief, the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. God's perfect presence is displayed through his patience with his people. That you and I might see that and believe. For our own salvation. You see, in Jesus, God became a man and made his dwelling among us. God is present. John 1.14 tells us this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is not just another good man. Rather, he is God with us. From Isaiah 7 in the Old Testament, throughout the books of the New Testament, it tells us, Colossians 2.9, that in him, talking about Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you, Christian, have been filled with him. God is present because Jesus is with us. No one says it better, though, than David does. In the 23rd Psalm, verse 4, when he says this, You are with me. What a powerful testimony of God's patient presence with his people, even when we are in rebellion. God is faithful, patiently present, even in our sin and rebellion, waiting and wanting to show you how much he loves you. The fourth way is this God is faithful by his power. And we see it demonstrated through the five people groups that they come into contact with. Three of them the, that God is able to restrain the people. Even though they had angst with the Israelites. God said, you do business with them and move on. These people will not bother you. These people are going to come out and try to kill you. And you're going to take them. You see, Jesus's, or God's power was on full display. And Moses said, do not forget, it is the Lord your God who fights for you. And when we come to Jesus, we see that Jesus is God's power on full display. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is, to us who are being saved, the power of God. When Christ crucified is preached, we know that's God's power that's come to us for salvation. And when Paul's talking about his own preaching, he says this, We preach Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, the gospel is our only power for salvation. Obedience, right thinking, none of these things. Self-righteousness, they do not earn our way to heaven. We do not earn our way or think our way to God, nor do we accumulate our way to God, but rather we trust our way for God has come to us. Paul says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. What treasure is he talking about? He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the power of our salvation. What jars of clay is he talking about? He's talking about the frailty of people. He's talking about the frailty of preachers. The frailty of himself to say, look, the power is not in the, in the deliverer of the message. The power is not in the one who brings God's word. But the power is God's word coming. Come to us. That's 
That's why we see Moses in the Old Testament, but he was just a jar of clay. He couldn't handle the full weight of the burden of the people on his own, but God could, and God did, and Jesus shows us that it is God who is faithful to save because he is faithful to his covenant. A final testimony, chapter 3, verses 23 to 29. Very powerful few verses. Verses 23 to 29. I'm not going to read them. But Moses is so overwhelmed by the glory that stands in front of him through the realization of God's promise to him. He says, God, can I please go in? And he tells the people, I pleaded with God. Pleaded with God to let him go in. And God said, no. And I don't want to hear from it, uh, hear about it anymore. You see, he had sinned in the wilderness, gone against God's word, and that was the consequence for that sin. Friend, here's what the final testimony of Moses should be to us today: Be careful that you do not allow disappointment in your life, disillusionment in your life, or disgruntlement with God to make you doubt. Or fail to believe that he is faithful. Moses demonstrates a powerful great grace in his own life. Through his final plea to God. Please let me go over and see the good land. You see disappointment and disgruntlement with God. Does not mean that God is not faithful. God is faithful. And the fact that he doesn't satisfy our every demand, our every whimper, or our every wish demonstrates his faithfulness to us. You see, earthly denials pale in comparison to heavenly, eternal rewards. And God is always faithful to his covenant. To his covenant. How powerful God's grace in Moses' life to live with the knowledge of verse 26 in chapter 3 when he says this, But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Yet Moses continued to serve faithfully. Now, that doesn't make Moses great because Moses himself pointed to God and said, it's God who's great. Many people get disillusioned or disgruntled with God because they expect something of Him that He never promised, that God never intended to provide. You see, Moses was disappointed, but he was not destroyed by his disappointment. Why? Because he knew that God was faithful even though he would not enter the land. He trusted God for God, not for what God could give him. And when you know and trust God for who He is, you know that He is greater than all the disappointments in this life. You see, Moses knew that God's promise in His covenant was sure and better than all the disappointment or disillusionment that he thought he had experienced in his life. Moses knew the greatness of his message was not in what he got from God, but that through it he got God himself. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell among you. Friends, Jesus is God's faithfulness. He is the one who saves. 
He is better than all that this world has to offer, promise, or provide. And God is always faithful by his actions to the promise of his covenant through Jesus Christ. Always. And this makes God more glorious and more good to each person in the world today and worthy of all honor and glory and praise. I'm going to ask the worship team to return. I want to direct our hearts and our thoughts as we prepare to respond to the Lord. I want to leave you with this, that God is faithful to His covenant to save His people through His covenant keeper, Jesus Christ. Today's first foundation pillar is not about knowing God is faithful. Don't walk out of here confused. It's not about just knowing that God is faithful, but it's about putting feet on your knowledge. It's about trusting that He's faithful. If God is going to shape your life, He's going to do it not because your intellect has grown, but because your trust has been expressed in Him. Does that make sense? Do you, are you tracking with me on that? You can walk out of here and have a little more knowledge about God and feel pretty good about yourself and miss what He wants for you and become even more disillusioned with Him because of it or with the church or with me or with someone. But what I'm saying to you is if you want God to shape your life for the glory that He created you to bear and to reflect for Him. It's not just about knowing, but it's about pressing that knowledge to the affections of your heart that they might deepen. And the will of your life would be to say, I want to follow you, God, even when I don't see all that, that needs to be, that I think needs to be seen in this. I want to follow you, God, even when I don't completely understand how you're going to do all that you're going to do. I want to know you, God, even when I feel so short in my knowledge of you. You see, what I want you to remember today is that God is faithful, not so you can recite as some kind of an incantation, but so that you can follow Him in the relationship that He's created and redeemed for you to have with Him. You see, each of us stands at a line just like the Israelites did. When the word of God's command comes to us, we stand at the line and we must ask ourselves, will we create plan B or will we follow God in his command that he gives to us? And the difference is this, knowing that God is faithful with a knowledge that has feet that will follow him. Will you follow him? In your own life, God calling you to obedience, calling you to himself. He may be calling you out of something, out of sin, out of rebellion. He may be just calling you to himself into greater obedience. What's, what's he calling you to today? Is he calling you to a personal relationship for you to repent of your sin, to turn away from yourself and go, God, I can't even handle the weight of my own sin. Truth of the matter is, none of us can. That's why Christ is essential for us. Would you come today and you for the first time place your faith in Christ to know that God is faithful to save you as he's promised you maybe it's about a relationship a marriage maybe it's about an individual in your life and God's calling you maybe to make something right or maybe he's calling you to go to this person and 
to talk about Christ, to talk about what God's done in your heart and in your life and to share the gospel with them. And you're creating all kind of plans because you're standing at the line going, I don't think I can do this. Those people are big. Those people are scary. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe God's calling you to own up. Be faithful in your job where you've been cutting corners. Maybe God's calling you to step out of your job and follow Him to another corner of the earth. And likely is somewhere in between. What is God speaking to you about in your heart? And why would you not? Why would you not say yes to Him? You see, that question always comes back to us. There's just really no way to say no when you've seen how faithful God really is. And so I leave you with this today. That if you want God to shape your life, remembering that He is faithful is the first foundation Father, help us today. I have no doubt you are speaking to every person in this place. I have no doubt you're calling us to greater obedience. You're calling us to follow you. And Lord, for some people, you're calling them to a daily obedience. You're calling them out of uh, uh, apathy. You're calling them out of passivity, of just ignoring you or denying you. And you're calling them to walk faithfully with you in the day in and day out routine of their life to love their wife to love their husband with a deeper obedience to walk more faithfully in their job and to testify more obediently of you to to love their neighbors as you're leading them to do God I know for a fact there's some here today that you're calling you're calling them to the ends of the earth to go God, I pray today for the encouragement and the reminder that you are faithful. You will lead them. You will provide for them. You will protect them. You will empower them. I pray that they would just surrender to follow you today. All for your glory. All for your name. That your name might not cease with us, but that it might go forth from us as a faithful testimony. That Jesus is the covenant keeper. He saves saves. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together as we respond to the Lord.